Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 35 of Three Course Politics. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And for today's pod, we have a little something different for you. It's the first pod of the new year. In this pod today, we're going to be talking about two things. The first thing is going to be what are three positives of 2020 that are not directly COVID that people haven't appreciated or haven't talked about or something we want to highlight of 2020? The second thing we're going to talk about are what are two predictions each of us have for 2021? What things are going to happen in 2021 that we are calling right now and you can hold us to it at the end of the year? Josh, you want to add anything? You know, Happy New Year to everyone and... We know that 2020 was not the best year for many, many reasons, but it's important to take a step back and see if we can find any positives politically from 2020. Obviously, we're not going to talk about the vaccine or COVID just because COVID is, you know, has been such a horrible thing and it's basically dominated the 2020 news cycle. So we want to see if we can look at things that are happening besides COVID, positive things. And then predictions for 2021 because we have to look forward. We have to look back at where we were and then you have to look forward to what's coming. So hope you guys will stick around and uh, enjoy our, our uh, predictions. Reflection is a positive, you know, even in a even in a year that was filled with so much tension and everything else involved. Like it's okay to it's good to look back because that's how we're going to find our way forward a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. not for Trump, though. He no, never looks nope, back. He nope. just goes forward. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing before we dive into everything is, are you listening and are not subscribed to the pod? Well, if you're not, we'd love for you to do so right now. Uh, you'll get your episodes quicker. You won't have to search for a new episode. So wherever you're listening, uh, just click subscribe in your podcast app. And if you love listening to us, or if you don't like listening to us, but if you really love listening to us, write us a review on the podcast app that, you, that you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anything else. Um, if we get five or more reviews, it will turn up the show for more people and more people can listen with you. So that'll be great. And with that, we are going to go into our three positives of 2020. Here we go with the three positives that each of us have of 2020 that we want to highlight and we want to talk about a little bit more. So <laughs> we don't have a pre-dinner shot question for you today, but if we did, it would be how long was 2020? And I would tell you the answer is a billion years because uh, it felt like a really long year and a short year all at the same time. It just it just never ended. So I'm going to start with my first one. My first positive of 2020 was saving our democracy with a Biden-Harris win. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, it was very clear by the 60 lawsuits that Trump and the GOP were and still are, you know, they were ready to steal the election at any given point if it was any closer. Those lawsuits are insane. They're brazen. And honestly, if we had just slightly closer results, they would have done horrible, horrible things. And they attempted to. They, they literally tried to do it. And thanks to you, and everyone who voted, we gave Biden enough of a margin, I can't believe I'm saying that in, in a democracy, that the courts ruled against Trump's lawsuits like they, they didn't even consider them. And with Biden at the helm of the federal government, we can finally stop bad regulation changes, stop family separation at the border, stop the promotion of racism, and rebuild and reinforce all the norms that Trump did that were broken. 
and hopefully put some teeth on ethics rules because it's very clear that those rules mean nothing if no one's willing to enforce them. Uh, (laughs) So without a Biden win, I really think Trump and the GOP would have continued to change the U.S. into something like the country of Hungary, where they're, you know, it's called now in a liberal democracy because if you if you want to even research Hungary, it's really terrifying. The country is basically a dictatorship at this point. The party changes all the rules to benefit itself so the opposition can't win ever. So it's really scary. But that's that's my first positive. Wow. Hungary is a scary, scary situation, Hills. That is definitely a positive. My positive is very, very similar to Hills. I said the first positive of 2020 is having the first female, black, and South Asian vice president. It's a huge step forward. It's a huge win for the country. It's long overdue. And I think, you know, it, it's, a, it's something that we can take as a positive from this overall terrible year. And I'm going to throw in there not just the fact that we have the first female black and South Asian vice president, but also look at who Biden is putting in his cabinet. I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about what Biden will be able to do or what he won't be able to do with Congress. But the people that he's surrounding himself with are very, very capable. And that's just a stark transition, right? Um, Now, we have to hope that they'll get confirmed, but I I really do think that most of these people are going to get confirmed. Look at like Janet Yellen, first female secretary of of the Treasury, if she gets confirmed. But she was former uh, chair of the Fed, so she knows all about economic policy. Compare that with Steve Mnuchin, right? I mean, it's just, it makes all the difference. Um, Having uh, Alejandro Mayorkas as Secretary of Homeland Security, right? Having someone who is of immigrant uh, parents, right, and is of immigrant descent be in charge of ICE and be in charge of the borders, right? That makes so much sense, right? You know, you've got Jennifer uh, Granholm as Secretary of, uh, of Energy, again, with someone who has worked with cars and the in the automobile industry who's trying to lead bringing down uh, the climate change, right? Trying to to make cars more, you know, eco-friendly. You've got Deb Holland, Secretary of the Interior, a Native American to be in part of a cabinet and who's going to be in charge of picking out lands, right? Setting aside lands and preserving what's left of, you know, our, our lands. You have Michael Reagan as EPA, right? This is someone who was, who was picked by a Democratic governor in North Carolina and basically led an environmental protection group um, in North Carolina. And you have Miguel Cardona, Secretary of Education. This guy was a principal. He spent like 30 years in public schools. He is someone who was Teacher of the Year a couple years ago. You compare that with Betsy DeVos, who has never set foot in a school, uh, a public school of any kind. So you just look at who Biden is surrounding himself with. Right. And that should give you a positive feeling moving into 2021 that Biden is surrounding himself with competent people who will help his administration accomplish all their goals. Um, And it's also a very, very diverse and I'm going to say progressive group. So I think that is something that we we can all look forward to in 2021, but also be just look back on and say that these are people that kind of helped helped us show like where we are going in the future. And they are all competent people especially when you compare them to who Trump had in his uh, administration, especially towards the end. Josh, I need you to answer a question for me about this because I'm okay. very confused. You're telling me it's better to have experts in high-ranking government positions 
than political donors or family friends? Um, you know, it's a bold strategy. And uh, we'll see if... Yes, Hills. Yes. It's much wow, better my, to have experts. My world is turned upside down. I, I can't believe yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, everything you said about his cabinet, I think... And I, I really do think that people will, probably by the end of 2021, see some of that expertise and that knowledge and that care be translated into mm-hmm. their lives. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, 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 and again, like, obviously, we w- would love for Dems to take uh, the Senate, and we hope that they will, and hope that Biden is able to pass whatever he wants to. But I really think that people should take some solace looking back at that the fact that Biden chose majority of his cabinet. He's only got a few positions left. He chose majority of his cabinet to be um, very competent people, and it should give you hope in 2021 that uh, things are going to get better. And even having just competent people leading these agencies will make a huge difference in people's lives. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I don't think it could be discounted how, you know, Americans who don't pay attention to this process, and Josh, you and I have talked about this a lot, like the reasons we had all these issues in 2020, like half, I maybe not half, but like a substantial amount of them were because you had people in government who didn't know what they were doing to solve the problem. Excellent point. My second positive of 2020 was we got to see good governance by some governors, right? So with COVID hitting America, um, lots and lots of Americans got to finally see how good their governor was. Most of them are and were terrible. They're just terrible. But it also contrasted really well with those who know what they're doing, right? So Cuomo, mostly. Whitmer, Hogan, Sununu, Baker, Murphy in New Jersey, mostly. Raimondo in Rhode Island, Mills in Maine, Gavin Newsom in the beginning, (laughs) at least, Inslee. (laughs) These are some names that spring to mind when we talk about good policy put into place when COVID was spreading in the spring, and also just in general how they managed their states during this time, right? You know, you have Ron DeSantis in Florida who didn't know what he was doing in the first place, but a good economy really helped cover up how bad he he wasn't doing what he's doing, right? But you have all these really go- good governors who, they may have made mistakes and they may continue to do so, but for the most part, they relied on science and knowledge of the political process and caution. And there there's no question that the person in charge of some of these states and where we are now in some of these places is directly related to the leadership at the top. You just look at the death rates per per capita, per state population of North and South Dakota. They are at the two highest in the nation. And guess guess who runs North and South Dakota? Two very Republican, conservative, radical governors. I mean, like, you can't really compare to, to Hogan, who is more of the center of the spectrum and who has been taking caution and care, to someone who just doesn't even believe in science. Like, you got to really see a good contrast here. So I think that's an underrated story. Of course, not everyone did everything right, but I think the story of good governance is underrated in 2020. Yeah, and I just want to add on to that, Hills. I think that people kind of saw, hopefully they saw, that what a failed federal government means. It just means that the states have to take on so much more. And especially in the pandemic, especially all the issues we dealt with in 2020, having a strong central federal government would have made all the difference, I think. I heard a story the other day about how in uh, Arizona, there is no statewide mandate. 
and bars and restaurants and movie theaters and bowling and, and, and like everything is packed and the ICUs are officially full now and you have ICU nurses that are taking care of instead of one or two patients what like they're trained to they're taking care of like four patients at a time and it's just you contrast that and and, and the covid is, is spreading everywhere I, I don't I'm not trying to say that it's only bad in Arizona but it, it, I mean, Arizona right now is as of January 2nd is the worst it is the worst hit state and there's no mask mandate, right? And you compare that with other with other states, right? That that have mask mandate, it's still spreading, but it's just not at the same rate, right? And so, local leadership matters, federal leadership matters, and hopefully, people who did not take it seriously or politicians who didn't take it seriously will, you know, have their bell rung when they're up for re-election next next, because there's no excuse to not run a state in a pandemic the way that, you know, some of the governors that you mentioned, like Cuomo and Whitmer and Hogan, how they all ran their states. Um, it was still terrible. It was still hard. You still had far too many people dying, and that speaks to the lack of federal leadership that there is. But I just think that looking at governors who handled it well, hopefully will, it, it, it's a good thing for people to remember. It's a good thing. It's a reminder that, you know, local leaders and governors matter. But hopefully it's also a demonstration that, having a bad federal government or a weak federal government is detrimental. Just look at uh, the vaccine rollout, right? Like they wanted to have 20 million people with the vaccines, right? And we have 10 million doses and we've only done 2 million people because the federal government and Trump were like, hey, we got you the vaccine, you finish it up. And all the states were like, uh, we don't know what they we're doing. Like we have the military, the military is the most well-organized machine in the world. Why aren't they, why aren't we like instructing them to like, do even more, right? Like, <laughs> anyway, it underscores what you just said about a strong federal government. Uh, but hey, that is good local leadership is always a positive. So that, that was a good one. All right, my second one is going to be a bit controversial, but I think vote by mail. I think if we look, when we, when we look back on this, voting by mail actually, it took forever, which is something that, and the Trump administration tried to put as many different problems as they could, but vote by mail was effective. The uh, rejection rate for, for mail voting in 2020 was less than it was in any other election year. I think it was like 0.7%, which is still too high, right? That's still almost 1% of people who didn't have their ballots, their votes casted, but it was lower than it has been in any other year. And you combine that with the fact that the former head of the CISA, Chris Krebs, the CISA is, I believe it's the Department of Homeland Security, Cyberstructure and or Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. It's a mouthful, but he's a former head of it. He's, he, he's a Trump person. He said, um, there is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. And he said that the 2020 election was the most secure election of all time. And I think despite what Trump has said, despite what his... Trump people are, have been saying Americans should be happy that in the face of an administration trying to derail voting rights, in the face of an administration that is working with foreign governments to undermine the election, that Americans had their votes heard, that their votes were safe, that the election was secure, and voting by mail 
I, I think in the future, even when there's no pandemic, will be a very appealing option to people who, you know, believe that it was safe and people who listen to facts, right? You never, you're always going to have Trumpers who are, who will say, oh, I'll, ne- I'll never vote by mail and I'll never do it again or whatever. But the facts are, it was safe, your vote counted, and it's a great option moving forward if, you know, you can't make it on election day. And hopefully it's part of a step that will make voting easier moving forward. But I think voting by mail, I think the overall election security is a positive in 2020, especially in face of all the difficulties that are democracy-based. You know, Josh, you had to convince me on that because I was uh, I was one of the controversy that you mentioned and you said this is going to be controversial. And I was like, eh. but, you know, you convinced me. You uh, very much convinced me. And I was I did not know that the ballot rejection rate was lower in 2020 for voting by mail in terms of the general than it had been previous years. Mm-hmm. That's that's incredible. And that just shows how much work we had to put into it to make sure our votes yeah. counted. Right. And, and you think about all the states, all the the Republican governors who tried to close down mail in uh, mail places. You look at what happened to the Postal Service, right? All the funding cuts and all the boxes taken away and a Trump donor being postmaster general. I mean, you just look at all the work that we had to put in and then the fact that it's still a very secure election and almost everyone's vote counted. Now, like I said, 0.7% is still too high, right? It should be 0%, right? But it's less than 1% and, and that is a positive to, to look back on an otherwise terrible year. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge positive and hopefully that voting can be easier in the future. But man, that, that is certainly a, a really good positive. And very similar to your positive, my, my next and last positive is Stacey Abrams and the future of organizing. So Stacey Abrams, for anyone who doesn't know immediately who she is, she ran, she was a state senator in the state of Georgia, and she ran for governor in 2018 and, and lost. And now she has, she is a you know, statewide, nationwide political force. She was in the news a lot in 2020, don't get me wrong, because Biden won Georgia. But I I don't think people know exactly how inspiring and amazing her work has been in Georgia. So after she was cheated out of her 2018 win, because the guy she ran against, Kemp, also was the guy running the election. So like, how is that even fair? Instead of being a normal politician, she dedicated, dedicated, herself and her political network and her supporters to registering new voters and namely voters of color throughout the state of Georgia. You know, fair fight, that's that's Stacey Abrams. Throughout Georgia, she brought in resources, money, people, time. She organized and executed an impressive registration and get out the vote effort. Georgia would not have been won by Biden if Stacey Abrams did not do all that work in the last two years. Definitely not, 100%. Stacey Abrams is the face of Georgia Democrats, and she's doing it by organizing, educating, and turning out voters because we have a huge turnout problem as Democrats. And it's really a shame that she doesn't have any formal political role at the moment, but her work, her intellect, and her future should be praised and celebrated. You know, everything she did for 2020 everything she will continue to do, and she is and was definitely responsible for the Biden win. So Stacey Abrams, huge positive of 2020. Yeah, I think, Hills, especially what you talked about there, the future of, of um, organizing, 
is going to be so important. Because if you look at it, Democrats had an organization problem in 2020, and that was mostly by the sign of the pandemic. But you know, hopefully this will allow us to keep those Georgia Democrats, right, to continue to have them get out the vote. Hopefully they're already on registration. So hopefully it's, it's, a, it's a blueprint for how to move forward with organizing because you can make all the Zoom and all the calls you want, but there's nothing quite like just getting out there and knocking on doors and creating lists and creating organizations and, you know, putting po- putting poll protectors to at the polls or people who are going to be intimidated. I, I just think the work she did in Georgia is so incredible. And you look at us taking Georgia and she is a big reason why. So I think her and just the future of organizing and the work that she's done is it, can, it cannot be understated how important that is. So that, that, that's a great choice. I'll move on to my third one. Okay, so my third one was uh, the social justice movement. 2020, I think, you know, one of the things was the social unrest that came up, especially after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I'm not at all saying that we are anywhere close to where we need to be social justice-wise or that it's all solved now. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the movement behind it, stuff that's come out of it, is a huge positive, I think, that we can look back on as this is a moment where something started. There's this idea that instead of just fighting against a particular person, like a George Wallace or a state or a law, right, that the idea that there is systemic racism in the United States and that we're fighting against a system, right, that is ingrained in this country, to oppress people of a certain color or a certain race is, is a bigger idea than just saying someone's bad or a state's bad or a law is bad. But it's the system itself, right? And look at the success of Black Lives Matter, and we have Black Lives Matter uh, members of Congress now, right? You, instead of having like one or two big leaders, you just have local organizers in every county, in every state, in every part of the country that are continuing to talk about this. It's something that that, that, that that is not going away, and it's sad that it took the murder of you know George, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many others to bring us this moment. But I think the fact that it's in the hands of local organizers, the fact that we are fighting, we realize that we are fighting against a policy and a system and not just some, some people. I mean, Joe Biden has said it in his, uh, some speeches in his policy that there is systemic racism in this country. And that's huge. For a, for a presidential candidate to say that, right? And the fact that it's not controversial really for him to say that just speaks to the power of social justice movements in this country, the Black Lives Matter movement, and so many others. And I think that we'll look back at 2020 as a time when, when this new movement started. This is not a continuation of what was going on in, in the 60s or what was going on, um, you know, in the early 2000s under Obama, this is a brand new thing that I think is is going to become big in the next couple of years. And we'll look back at as 2020 is when it started. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm glad that we're we're talking about this, because if it wasn't clear before 2020, you know, Black Lives Matter, they always do. They always have and they always need to. Right. And th- this summer was such a big turning point for millions of people who kind of tuned this out in their lives, who didn't think about it, didn't know about it, didn't want to acknowledge it, all this stuff, right? And I think to your point, Josh, we, we see this continuing and may not be continuing in 
marches and all that stuff, but I can't tell you how many businesses I've seen, how many, how many corporations want to do more on diversity and inclusion efforts and making intentional choices about who they hire and how they hire, right? From culture, entertainment. I don't know about you, Josh, but I certainly have seen, which it's, it's healthy too, that, you know, the shows I'm watching, they're just not all white, right? The cast is, is mm-hmm. you know, it's not just there's one token person of color. There's like real character and important characters who are not white right so like yeah i think it's i think it's a really good thing and and it's tense right it's not it's not easy no one it's not easy for anybody but i think it's important because if we're ever gonna make sure people of color and black americans like feel part of this country which they are and feel respected this is we have to confront it right and i think the whole thing heals about it being uncomfortable right is like that's the way it should be it should be uncomfortable Right. And I just want to stress again, this is like, we're not saying that like, oh, it's all solved. Right. We're saying like, like I'm saying like, like it started here and there will be ebbs and flows. There'll be times when it feels really good and times when it feels like we've regressed. But I think this is the starting point and, and it will take time longer than, than it should. Right. But we'll look at 2020 as the starting point. As two white guys, we are certainly not saying it is <laughs> it is good to go. We are all done with that. No, no, we're not saying that at all. <laughs> but I think that I agree, Josh. I think it's a huge positive 2020. All right. So those were our positives. We, we look back at some of the positives of 2020. And coming up, we're going to talk about our predictions for 2021. So uh, you just heard our predictions for 2020, and now Hills and I are going to each give you two predictions for 2021. Hills, both of mine are big predictions. I'm going bold because 2020 was so shitty that I'm just going with bold predictions in 2021. So here's my first bold prediction. Andrew Yang will be the next mayor of New York City after he wins the 2021 New York City mayor election, and he is going to defeat... Andrew Giuliani, Rudy's son, in a not-that-close election. Wow. That is certainly a bold prediction. I didn't even know, is Andrew Giuliani running? <laughs> he's not officially running, but he's he's been listed as a potential person who is considering. So I think that Rudy is going to be so humiliated from all this that it's going to be up to his son to bring back the Giuliani name. And what better way to bring it back than to run for uh, mayor of New York City, I think the Republicans will flock to him as a way of supporting Rudy and, and, and Trump. And Andrew Yang is going to get battered and bruised in the Democratic primary, but I think he comes out on top. And then I think we have a, I think you have a Mayor Yang in uh, New York City in 2022, I guess is when he would. Wow, I can dig that. I can dig a Mayor Yang. <laughs> I just. Andrew Yang just looks like he's having so much fun. I think he has, I think, you know, obviously his presidential race was <laughs> never going anywhere. But, you know, start as a mayor. It's a big city. He's he's from New York. There are some very passionate Andrew Yang supporters out there. He's had some time on CNN. He's gotten his name out there. And New York City, is, it's, it's, a, it's a little weird. It's a little strange. And I, I, I don't know. I just think that the moment is right for him. And he's filed the, the paperwork. If anyone hasn't seen the video of him 
you know, filming his announcement commercial. At the end, he says, can you dig it? And then he throws his hand back and his head, his head back and his hands up. And he goes, can you dig it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, you know, I think he'll bring some joy to this. No one looks like they're having more fun than Andrew Yang. Um, I don't think that universal based income will get passed, but I think he wins the election and I think we hear a little bit more from Andrew Yang in the 2020s. I think this could be a really big test for him, right? Because his his support, as you just said, didn't translate in the primaries, but New York City is a huge, the biggest city in the United States, super, super diverse. UBI is an interesting and, and potentially fantastic policy. But he's going to actually connect with issues that people in the city care about, right? They may love to hear that they're going to get $2,000 a month, but that might not be enough for them. This will be a really good test for him to see if he can actually run a comprehensive policy campaign. Not that he didn't do it before. No, it'll be a big test for for, for Yang. And, and New York City is very, very liberal. I'm not super familiar with, with how Bill de Blasio is doing, but I don't think a lot no of people like him. him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think, you know, what's the opposite of Bill de Blasio? It's Andrew Yang. It's, it could be very true there. <laughs> so there you have it. I think that New York City folks should get, get used to having a Mayor Yang. I'll take it to the bank, Josh. I, I have to vote this year in New York City. So we'll see if I vote for Yang. But no one likes Bill de Blasio, not because he's a bad guy, just because he creates too much drama. Anyway, separate point, separate episode. My first prediction, maybe not as bold as, as yours, Josh, but I think Trump will announce he's going to run in 2024 for the presidency. But he will do so with great fanfare. He may even do it on inauguration day of, of Biden's inauguration day. He will never file the paperwork to actually do it. He will announce he's doing it, wow, okay. but he will not legally do it because he can, he will continue to collect cash for his whatever organization he creates, you know, or whatever one he has now. And he can spend it on, on almost whatever he wants with doing that because when you file the paperwork for president, you have to file FEC reports. Your donors have more publicity in them, but when you run a a political action committee as specific types of them, you don't have to report nearly half as much. So, you know, you can spend your political action committee on almost anything you want. If you say it's for furthering the cause of your political action committee, why not have a fund to do whatever you want and not have any of the rules apply to you? That's my pick. Wow. Okay. Trump is going to announce maybe on Twitter maybe through a rally that he is running for president and everyone will go crazy, but he's never going to actually file the paperwork. So he said when, when 2024 comes, are, are you saying when 2024 comes around, he won't be on the ballot? Or are you just saying that in 2021, he's not going to file the paperwork? He won't be on the ballot because he'll never actually run. He'll say he'll run, he'll okay. fundraise off of it, but he will never file the paperwork because he has no intention of running again. And... Is he won't is if he files the paperwork, it won't be until twenty twenty three. He's not going to do it immediately. So, well, okay. this is a good test to see. If I'm full of crap in twenty twenty one. Yeah. So okay. So you're not saying that he's not he's he's officially not running in twenty twenty four. You're just saying in twenty twenty one he will announce that he's running, but he won't file the paperwork. Correct. I like that prediction. I like it a lot more if he ends up not running in 2024 i have i have doubts that he'll actually even do that but you know i i never know with him yeah well no one does all right people here we go my second prediction for 2021 is that in his first three months in office 
So Joe Biden takes office in January 20th of 2021. So February, March 20th, April 20th. In the first three months, Biden is going to get some kind of massive spending COVID relief package passed uh, in the House and the Senate. I'm thinking it's going to be upwards of a trillion dollars. And the final vote count will be 51 to 49 in the Senate in favor. It's going to pass. You're going to have key votes from Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney. The other piece of this is that uh, if it's going to be 51-49, that means that Democrats are going to need at least 49 senators. And so Raphael Warnock or John Ossoff, one of them, will win their Georgia election, which will be 49-51 in the Senate. And Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney will be the two deciding votes that will uh, pass a massive COVID spending relief package by April 20th of 2021. Wow. Wow. You think... So you think that the Republicans are going to are going to go work with with Biden this year? No, I think that Mitch McConnell will do everything in his power to make sure that it doesn't happen. But Biden will will package together such a good bill that moderates like Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney will join in on it because it's because there's going to be so much suffering that they're going to need to pass. Okay. Okay. And. I think the two of them will be the two deciding votes that will push the measure forward. We only need one of them because assuming that we take a a Georgia Senate seat, you only need one of them because then Kamala will come in and break the tie. But I think Murkowski and Romney will, will flex their muscles in the first few months of the Biden administration, pass a big COVID relief bill to show Mitch McConnell that he's got to do more for them because they have, they're going to wield so much power. Damn, that is a bold prediction there. I, you are putting a lot of faith in Murkowski and, and Romney, but which could be very founded, by the way. I mean, but they've been, you know, they talk a big talk. Murkowski's better than Romney on that. Yeah. And, and so I'm not trying to say that, you know, Biden's going to have a great relationship with the Senate. I think the Senate will, will try to stop him at every, everything that, that they, they can. And there will be times in 2021 where we are, just so pissed off with Murkowski and Romney. I'm not saying that they're going to become, you know, members of the of the fight uh, against the, against the Republicans or democracy or Trump or whatever. But I am saying that when it comes to a COVID relief bill, right, that's going to that's going to to do so much for their states and for the country. It'll be such a comprehensive bill that Biden has passed that Murkowski or Romney, I think both of them will join in on the bill. That is big and bold. And you know what? I, I want to believe it. <laughs> I want to, I want to believe. <laughs> uh, do you think in this prediction, do you, what do you think Collins is doing? <sighs> <laughs> I have just been duped so many times by Susan Collins that I don't think she's going to do anything. I think she'll talk a big game, and I'm sure Hills, so you and I will text and we'll say, oh, maybe Susan Collins <laughs> will actually do something. <laughs> but but we have been robbed by that woman by so many times that I have no faith that she's going to do anything positive ever again. So She has little, little incentive to do something positive. Oh, there's no incentive. There's There's literally no incentive. So, you know, so no, I, I don't foresee 
Um, I don't for, for foresee her doing anything good. Uh, I think Murkowski is, is up again soon. I think she's up in 2022, yep, maybe. Yep. Yeah, and she's up, and I don't know when. I guess Romney wouldn't be up. Is he up in 2022 as well, or 20? I think 24 because he won in 2018. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 2024. So, but anyways, when he, when he was running for president, Romney's always been someone who he has not been afraid to criticize Trump. You know, Romney voted for impeachment, one of the charges. So I, I think, you know, there will have to be a case made to them. They will have to put political pressure on them. Biden's going to is going to have to show us that he can wheel and deal with not every Republican center, but at least a few to get these measures passed. And hopefully it gets done. My prediction is that, like I said, April by, by April 20th, it gets done. I think Biden uses whatever good grace, any whatever honeymoon any presidents have now coming into office. I think he uses that to get a massive COVID relief bill packaged, signed into law. And then hopefully in the summer and the fall, we start to get this horrible thing under control. Well, I mean, that's a, certainly a good way to use a, a honeymoon. I mean, we'll, we'll see if Biden can show us the art of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> My final prediction for 2021 is that Stacey Abrams, back on Stacey again, love Stacey, always have, will announce a run for governor of Georgia. And it will be a rematch Ooh. between Kemp and Stacey. The governor's race is on in 2022. So I think at the end of the by the end of the year, she will have announced that she is running for governor of Georgia again against Brian Kemp. Wow. Now, Hills, let me ask you a question here. Do you think that Trump is going to put his support behind someone like Doug Collins, I think is someone who's more right of Kemp because he's mad at Kemp? Yes, I I do not think Trump is supporting Kemp at all. (laughs) I think he's going to try and undermine Kemp. I think Kemp may end up potentially losing his primary. I think someone is going to primary him because if you have Trump behind you and you're slamming Kemp at every single turn, this is a good way to to primary. But I think Stacey is already so well known in Georgia. And I think she's also got more time to, you know, build up her base. And the people who are voting for Here's the thing. The people who voted for Biden last year and the people who are voting for the two senators, Ossoff and Warnock, this year, they, Stacey Abrams has like 100% name ID with those voters. They know Stacey Abrams. They like Stacey Abrams. That's true. So when Stacey's on the ballot and she's going to continue to to register and organize these voters, they're going to be like, I know Stacey. I like Stacey. I remember Stacey in 2018 and 2020. I'm voting for Stacey. She's got that base right, okay. ready to go. I mean, I think this is, I would be very surprised if she doesn't win that, that race, but who knows what's going to happen. I like it. I like it. Uh, Hills, I believe you have a bonus prediction for I us. I do. I, I do. I think, <laughs> and this is, a, <laughs> this is a big one. I think Trump is going to be indicted on a massive tax fraud by the state of New York. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hills. Hills, I want you to to run us through quickly. What does this look like? What does this indictment look like? Please run us through what 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 it looks like, and then and then what what Trump's choices are after the indictment. Okay, all right. Disclaimer: I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> all right. Here's <laughs> no, 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 no. You made it very clear. You made it very clear that you are a lawyer and that you are guaranteeing this for all of our listeners. All right, here we go. All right, you ready? You're closing up. So, mm-hmm. number one. I'm ready. The, the state of New York, the Attorney General Office, and 
the district attorney of Manhattan. His name is Cyrus Vance. He's been like advancing this thing for quite some time. I'd say about February or March, they make formal filings like indicting him on this tax stuff, right? Trump says it's all fake. Okay. It's all stupid. But then his lawyers appear in court. The evidence comes out. It shows the amount of money he's been laundering and evading from taxes for for decades. And he says to fight it. He says it's fake news. Um, but the evidence is overwhelmingly against him on this. The whole political apparatus, this becomes the main, main news source of, of the Times. It's off of Biden. It's again on Trump. And I think Trump, I think it's a pretty clean cut case. And I think he's going to try and plead his way out of it of like, how can I evade this? How can I get out of jail? What can I do? And I don't know exactly what happens. I think he ends up being sentenced, being like convicted of it. But I don't think he's going to do jail time just because. And maybe his health declines because he's having so much anxiety over this and oh, yeah i don't know okay. i think i think it's gonna happen though i think they're just waiting until he's out of office okay all right gosh hills i i love that prediction i pray that it, it will come true oh do you have any bonus predictions josh i actually don't have any bonus predictions i don't i love yours so much that i am piggybacking on onto yours i am my support behind trump being indicted on a massive tax fraud by the state of new york <laughs> Well, it could be a joint prediction, a joint bonus prediction. Perfect. Yes, let's do a joint prediction. I'm happy to share it. it with you and with every all of our <laughs> listeners. So there you have it, guys. It's our predictions for 2021. We can hold our feet to the fire. And if we don't, our predictions don't come true, please uh, let us know. So that has been your predictions. And we're going to have a few messages for you that's coming up right now. Thanks, you guys, so much for joining us. Before you go, you have a few important messages. Special note, in the new year, in 2021, Hills and I are going to be having some guests join us once a month to as we continue to talk about politics and all the news that you need to hear. We'll be having a guest every once a month. Hills and I will still be here. It's not replacing any of us, but just giving you guys some, some new voices, trying to expand our, our audience. So our first guest is going to appear on our next episode, so please stay tuned for that. Intro and outro music is done by Brett Hillsberg, and transition music is by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy, please hit that subscribe button on your podcast app. It really does help us. Leave us a written review. If we get five or more reviews, it will make the show turn up, so please write something about us. Hopefully positive. If you have any questions, please email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you all very, very soon. Thank you, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye.